slightly strange setting uh, this morning to be, to be opening God's Word. It's familiar in a lot of ways, but unfamiliar in so many other things. And, and there's been so many important things happening over the course of this uh, past week. So, mo- so much important information uh, that's coming out about how we should behave and what we should do. And the government giving us clear guidelines about, about how we can be most helpful in the midst of this crisis. There's lots of important things. Um, there's a guy called James Irwin who was, one of the, who was involved in a moon landing. And he said this, God walking in the earth so that's, God walking in the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. So we're going to talk about some important things this morning. We're going to talk about Jesus walking on the earth. That's really what we're going to spend time thinking about this morning. And here's a guy who, who let's face it, there's not many, not, not many people who are going to trump him at a dinner party in terms of things that he's done and ways that, and, and achievements in, in their life than, than this guy, James Irwin, who said, God walking in the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. He's saying basically the most important thing, more important than probably the highest human achievement ever is this thing that God walked in the earth. That's more important. And that's really, and it, that's really what we're going to think about this morning. And it feels like a pretty good summary of what we've seen already in John last week as we started our, 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 our series, take, take a look as we're looking at John's gospel. Um, so it, it's a summary of what we've already, that's a good summary of what we've already seen in John. And as we looked at the beginning of chapter one last week, and again here as we look at it this week, what we read here, what has been read for us already by the Davy family is, it pushes a significant choice on us. We, we need, I need, and you need to make a choice about Jesus. Look, look what it says. He was at verse 10, says that he, of chapter 1 says, he was in the world. Jesus was in the world. That's an amazing thing. And his presence in the world, him coming into the world, forces you and places a decision in front of you that you have to make about what you're going to do about him. We need to make a decision about Jesus. That's the bottom line of what John is saying here as he opens up this opening, what's called the prologue of John chapter 1. is really an encouragement. It's It's a challenge for us to consider Jesus in a deeper, truer way. What does he mean to you? What what difference might he make to you? He was in the world. There's a guy called C.S. Lewis who um, was a great thinker, a great Christian thinker, and he, he, he said this. It's a pretty long quote, but it's going to be on the screen uh, for you here. He said this, I'm, I'm, trying here, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's what people say. That's the one thing, though, that C.S. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be, a, he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. So you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, not, let, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that choice open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus presents you and I with a choice. And John is realistic about how people respond to the revelation of Jesus. People are prone to reject him. You and I are prone to reject him. In fact, that's how most of us start our life with a tendency towards rejecting him and choosing to go our own way and do our own thing. And he, and he shows us that we might, and he shows us two ways that we might do that in these opening couple of verses. Look what it says that the, he, he was in the world, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, and, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There's this, the rejection of Jesus comes from, well, first of all, a refusal to recognize him, a refusal to recognize. John seems surprised by this rejection, rejecting. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So I know there's some kids watching at home in their living rooms with their parents. So here's what I want you to do, kids. I want you to take some time and I want you to point to your parent. Point to the person who, who cares for you. Point to the person who, who you came from, okay? Point to your parent, okay? Just take a moment, okay? Okay, I'm just going to leave that for a little moment just because, oh, that, so that's awkward enough for you, okay? So you just, stay point, keep, just keep pointing at your parent. They're going to feel good about that. Okay, so it's obvious, right? It's obvious to kids. It's obvious to, it's obvious to, to kids who their parents are. And I know some of you at home have pointed to someone who's not your parent just for fun because you're kids. But, but, that's, but you understand who your parents are. We all understand who our parents are and we recognize them. The one who made the world... And John is saying here something that's totally counterintuitive when we are, are so clear in our understanding of where we came from. The one who made the world was ignored by the world. There is, there's something mind-blowing about that. John is saying that the things that Jesus said and did give credibility to his claim to be the Son of God, to be God the Son, and yet the world didn't recognize him. The world didn't recognize him. And, and, and John is uniquely interested in this. Last week we thought about John 20, verse 31, a little bit. And it, and it says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you want life, then the, 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 Jesus, the name of Jesus is a place to find it. Jesus is telling us that what he saw, John is telling us what he saw and why he wrote. And, and he's very conscious, and amongst all of that, as he's writing these verses, that the hardness of people's hearts, the hardness of my heart, and the hardness of your heart hindered them in understanding who Jesus was. The refusal to recognize extended itself not just to that, but also not just to a refusal to recognize, but also, second of all, a refusal to receive. A refusal to receive. Look what it says in verse 11. He, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came as a man of Israel to the people of Israel. That's what this is talking about. Israel, the people of God's promises, the people of the Old Testament whose prophets had pointed to this day and, and to, to this very light, the Messiah, Jesus, coming into the world. Yet when he came into the world, when he came into their world, when he came into the world of his own people, the very people that God had been promising all through those decades, all through those years, those people did not receive him. They didn't take to him. They didn't gather around him. They were around him and beside him, but they didn't appreciate who he was. And it shows us a problem we all have when it comes to Jesus. Some of us won't recognize him. Maybe that's you, who he is and how much, we need, how much you need him. And some of you won't receive him. Some of us won't receive him, keeping him at arm's length and refusing all that he offers us. One thing I think in amongst all of this, there's a, this situation we find ourselves in with the coronavirus crisis is it may well put to, to an end, hashtag FOMO, fear of missing out, because the world has shrunk so much that actually there's so little going on for us to feel as if we're missing out in any way. But, but when it comes to Jesus, the fear of missing out is the thing that John is interested in helping us to wrestle with, making sure that people don't miss out in Jesus. You say, well, why? What's the, what's the big deal? Well, he goes on, he goes on from these things. He goes away from that kind of, that rejection of Jesus to, to, to an encouragement for, here's some reasons why we ought to recognize him. Here's some reasons why we ought to receive him. The, the great gain there is in having a faith, having a trust, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So we've got three amazing things to recognize that Jesus coming into the world allows us to receive from him. When it says he was in the world, there are three things that John then goes on to highlight which are super important for us to get a hold of and and amazingly life-changing if we grasp them. Look what he says, but to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him. So there's a choice here. Do you see the choice again? You can either receive him or not, but we, we we need to make a decision about him. But to all who did receive him, if you choose to receive him, And the word for receive here is slightly different from the previous one, and it describes a taking hold of, a taking possession of. So to those who believed in his name, who who have faith in who he is and trust in what he has done, he has a rescuing, redeeming, and restoring work to, to do in all of us, and that different from the rejection of God we have so often pursued. So to all who have believed in his name, In the Bible, the name of the Lord is about what God is like. So when it says in the Psalms, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and they are safe, it's encouraging people to run towards towards the character of God more than some specific geographic location. So for those who grab onto Jesus, for those who take possession of him and all he offers, here's the first of those three things that are amazing truths that come about because Jesus came into the world. The first truth is this, he makes, he makes our, he makes your, he makes my adoption possible. He makes my adoption possible. He, he gave the right to become the children of God. He gave, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's the first thing that we see here. That's the, that's the awesome reality that Jesus came in to make a reality in our lives. Do you, do you, I wonder, and I wonder as we, we, we consider that, do you see how he He is taking us from a place of rejecting him to a place of relationship with him. What an amazing thing. And and, and note this is not just any relationship. He offers you to make he offers he offers you not just to make his friend make you his friend. Actually, he offers not just to forgive you as somebody who's rejected him, and not just to become a friend of you, which would still be a step up on what we really probably deserve, but actually more than that, he offers to make us family. He he gives you the right to become the children of God. It's an, it's an amazing thing that Jesus offers us, not just forgiveness, but an invitation to his family. Not just salvation, but sonship. Not just freedom from darkness, the darkness of sin, but, but making us daughters of the eternal sovereign king. It's an amazing thing. But note this, it is he who gives the right. And it's important. It's an important understanding we have to come to here. We should not assume that, first of all, it is automatic. We shouldn't assume that it is an automatic thing. It's a right that is given it's not, it should never be a right that is assumed. It's something that is given, and the implication is that it's something that only Jesus himself can give. The very opposite from being automatic, our rejection of God should mean that we don't assume it. For most of our lives, we treat God as the creator of the world as if he exists as a matter for our personal convenience. So it's not automatic. So we do well to consider our lives and, and how little we look, tend to look to God in them. It's a dangerous thing to live in whatever way we please, doing whatever we, we want under the assumption that God will let our sinful rejection of him, the, him who made us slide. It's a dangerous thing to, to assume that our creator God, who we have rejected, will just let those things go. The fact that the right requ- required to be given underlines that we have forgone that right in the first place. Do you see? 
So it's not automatic. Second of all, it's not earned, which is good news for those of us who really feel the weight of our sin and feel the weight of the struggle we have with that. It's not, it's not earned. So it's the flip, side of, the flip side of people who assume that God will ultimately be okay with our rejection of him are those who assume that they can make things right with God by really trying or rallying to some, by really trying or rallying to some idea of morality. The thing is that you can work your way back into God's good books through good works. The, the thinking that you can work your way back into God's books through good, good books through good works is to misunderstand the issue that your rejection of God has created and the stain, the stain on your spiritual record that that has caused. So, so if it's not automatic and it can't be earned, and it can't be according to these verses, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with this amazing truth of, of awesome grace is that Jesus gives you it. Jesus offers you it. He invites you to receive it from him. He offers you the, the right to become a child of God. That's an amazing thing. Jesus is the determining factor of your relationship with God. What you consider about Jesus is the defining characteristic, defining characteristic of your relationship with God. Trust in Jesus is decisive in your adoption by God being declared. So if you want a relationship with God, if you want a relationship with God, if that's what you're seeking, if that's why you came on to YouTube this morning to watch our, uh, watch our live stream, if that's why you've come on, if you want a relationship with God, you need to understand, this is saying that John is saying, you need to understand it hangs on Jesus. And, it, and it's an amazing grace. We, you know, that we, we, we love that old hymn. Everyone loves that old hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Such grace. God, God doesn't just free you from failure or, or help you to figure out your fallenness or forgive you for your forged gods. He offers to fold you into his family. Just listen, if you would, for a moment to how Galatians 4 puts it. I love these verses. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. And because you are sons, and that, that right being given by Jesus, we're clear on that. So, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's a great hope we have. What an awesome thing that God has done for us. You are no longer a slave of sin, but a son of God because of Jesus being sent into the world for us. Because of Jesus being sent into the world for you. So when we say that God has a rescuing, redeeming, and restoring work to do in all of us, that's what we mean. And it is God who offers that to us. It is God who gifts that to us in Jesus. Look at verse 13. It's not a matter of blood. It's not your family background. It doesn't, none of those things make you, make you right with God. Look what it says. We, are, we have been given given the right to become the children of God, verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's not your family background. Growing up in a Christian family is not the thing that's going to get this done. Nor is the will of the flesh. Your flesh is the opposite of that. Your flesh is longing for and desiring the opposite of that. Your flesh will not will that. Your flesh doesn't will Jesus, your flesh wills for sin. That's what the Bible is clear about. You don't wake up one morning able to live a perfectly holy life that is entirely pleasing to God. And if you have, you need to figure out, you, you, maybe sharing the secret of that would be good. But even if you did, even if you woke up on that morning, there is still a record of past sin that stands in evidence against you. 
So it's not, it's not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Is it this rejection of God that the Bible calls sin makes it impossible for you to will the will of God without something soul-changing having happened to you. That's where Jesus comes in. You need something soul-changing to happen within you to, to be living your life for God. And what we need to understand is that God is the ultimate decision maker as to who is in his family. And, 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 and God's the qualifying characteristic for God for who is in his family is holiness. Holiness is key. So our sin is a killer. Listen, all these things are directing you to the reality that you desperately need Jesus. It's not automatic and it's not earned. It's not a background or it's not background or decision, or even, and it's not even possible without the intervention of Jesus Christ. He 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 came to show us a gap that exists between us and God, and to tell us that He's the only one that can bridge it, and He would offer and He offers to bridge it for you. He makes sure He makes sure He makes my adoption possible. Second thing, He makes the glory of God visible. He makes the glory of God visible. Look at verses 14 to 15. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Ranks before me because he was before me. So this is how God, this is how God made it possible for you to be adopted into his family. The word became flesh. Jesus, the son of God, became like us. And dwelt among us. And what is about to come has underlying it something quite amazing. When John was writing this, the first audience for the the first audience of people who would have read this gospel were people who are brought up with the first fifteen, with the first five books of the Bible etched into their minds. He's writing to people who treasured the book of Exodus and and for whom a certain section of Exodus was the main reference point for their entire national identity and their entire spiritual hope. So when it says here, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we read, well, he came and hung out for a while, but they read it something different, in some way different. The, the, the word for dwelt means to take up residence or more to pitch his tent. He pitched his tent among us. John is telling us that where God in Exodus, John is telling us that where God in Exodus made his dwelling place among his people in a tent, either called the tent of meeting or later on in the tabernacle, Jesus is, Jesus making his dwelling was God pitching his tent among us. That Jesus Christ, fully God, is the dwelling place of God the Son, fully God. That Jesus Christ, fully man, is the dwelling place of God the Son, fully God. He, he pitched his tent amongst us. He is the true tabernacle. He is the true place of encounter with God. He is the one you can encounter God through. He is the only one you can encounter God through. And, and, and look what it says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent. He, he tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. He, he made his dwelling place among us. Jesus Christ fully man as as the dwelling place of God, the Son, fully God. And we have seen his glory. That's what John says. We have seen his glory. It was amazing to see him. It was amazing to be with him. We have seen his glory. That's what, God, that's what Jesus allows us to see. He is the embodiment of the glory of God. 
Now, for someone growing up with Exodus, that would have been mind-blowing to read. In Exodus 33, Moses comes before God and makes a special request of God. He says, show me your glory. And God's, God's response is simply this, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The only way for Moses to see God's glory was to allow him to see, it was for God to allow him to see God's, his back. And, and, and so as God passed him by, he, he hid him in a cleft of a rock by, and, and covered him with his hand. That's what, so, so Moses' view of God's glory was as safe as it was possible to be. As he, as, in order not to see his face, he was hid in a cleft of a rock by God's hand and was allowed to see God's back. John is saying that Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is God the Son put on human face in order to give us a glimpse of God's greater glory. John is saying, I saw how glorious Jesus is. I saw how glorious Jesus is. And, and verse 15 has John the Baptist agreeing with him. We're going to think more next week about, about John the Baptist's testimony and how John the Baptist helps us fill in some of, the, some, some of the blanks of what we understand about Jesus. So we're going to come back in some ways to verse 15. But John is saying, I hung out with him. I spent three years of my life with him. I saw how glorious he is. And the only explanation for that glory that I can come up with is that he is God. And the sense of what we are reading in verse 14 was that for John, hanging out with Jesus was time in the presence of God. And, and what he's saying is here, it, it felt like I was hanging out in the presence of God. And, 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 it, was, and it, felt like he, it felt exactly like how you would imagine it would. And he even gives us the defining characteristics of that glory. Jesus being full of grace and truth. Do you see it? Look down into this, verse 14. We've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father Last phrase, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That's how, that, that's how John describes him. But again, that's not just some empty description. It's a clear connection for the first audience. And it's a clear connection for us to understand the connection that, is, that John is making between Jesus, God the Son, and, and God the Father. Again, we're thrown back into the book of Exodus and this time into Exodus chapter 34. You can go and check that out later on. That would, later on, that would be a great thing for you to, to use in your self-isolation or your uh, social distancing. God doesn't just hide Moses in the rock with his hand and allow Moses to see his back and then, okay, that's that job done. He also allows Moses to hear him speak, saying his name and describing what is all the things that are contained within that. He allows Moses to hear words of his covenant promises to his people, to those who would trust in him. People like you and people like me, this would be true for as well. God's covenant promises to his people are rooted in the character of his person. Remember what we said earlier on, the name is about the character more than a geographical location. And so God tells us what, in God's word, he tells us what he will be, will, he tells us what he will do by telling us who he is. And this is how he describes himself in Exodus 34, 6. So if you want, ever, if you ever wondered what is God, what God is like, he tells us right here. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And if you look through the Old Testament, and what John is saying here is that grace and truth were the summary of the steadfast love and faithfulness that all Israel built their hope in. 
What John is telling us here is that Jesus is the answer. He is the culmination. He is the fulfillment of the character of God and all that that character promises to those who would trust in him. This description of God is how God is going to relate to those who trust him. Jesus is the fulfillment of the story. He's the fulfillment of the whole story of the Bible. He's the center point and centerpiece of all of it. Jesus is the dawning reality and decisive enactment of of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus being with us shows us a love that will not, cannot, and does not move. That's an amazing thing, people. His dwelling among us demonstrates the faithfulness of God to not give up on us, that commits to making a way for us and fully and eternally keeps his promises to us. That's an amazing thing. And it brings us to the third thing. So he makes, our, he, he makes our, our adoption possible. He makes my adoption by God possible. He, he, he makes the glory of God visible. And finally, he makes the promises of God tangible. He makes the promises of God tangible. Last piece. From his fullness, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. From his fullness we have all received, or from his completeness we have all received. Jesus, John is saying here, when he's talking about fullness, he's saying, this, Jesus is all you need. And, and in the midst of in the midst of all of that, in the midst of worrying about where we're going to get the stuff that we need and where, how we're going to be in contact with the people we need, there's something here of encouragement and comfort for us in this season to see that, that God invites us to find in Jesus all that we need, that he is enough. That we can rely, rest in him and rely on him and he will bring us peace. There's an invitation to find peace in him. This is saying from his fullness we have all received. And for, so for people in great and eternal need, that's amazing news. There's nothing you need that Jesus cannot bring you. He is fully able to fulfill all God's promises to you. That's what this is saying. Every now and again, I share a story in church that I, I, I note down in my notes, and I think, well, I'm going to, am I going to regret sharing this? Because I feel as if I will never live it down from this point on. Um, one, of the thing, one of the early nicknames I got in, in Allison's family um, after I, I, when we started dating was the nickname Two Scoops. And I recognize the sharing this story. I'm now, I'm now dooming myself to being called two scoops for the rest of my life by everybody in our church family. I get called two scoops. And, and the simple reason for this was my fondness, my sweet tooth, my fondness for dessert and pudding. And so therefore, when it came to ice cream in particular, would you like a second scoop? For sure, I would like a second scoop. Okay, so two scoops became uh, my nickname. And, I, and we've been married 20 years in July. And still I get called two scoops from time to time. And in some ways, what we see here is two scoops of grace, two, two scoops of God's goodness to us. So we have, from his fullness, we have all received not just one scoop of grace, but two scoops of grace. Grace upon grace. From his fullness, those who refused to receive him are allowed to receive. Why? Because he is full of grace and truth. We are given the opportunity to grasp hold of not just grace. Just check how overwhelmingly generous God, overwhelmingly generous God is. 
Not just grace, but grace upon grace. It's that God is stacking grace after grace after grace. He is mounding grace into your life. That is what, is your, that is what he's offering to allow you to find in Jesus. Verse 4, 17 shows us what John means by grace upon grace. It says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. See, God in, grace, God in his grace gave us the law. Why? Because we need help to see who he is. And we need help to direct us how to live for him. But we also need help to show us when and where we fall short and how much help we need. The law is God's grace to redirect our hearts to him for the sole help that you need. The law is God's grace to to diagnose the sin that's in our life that separates us from him. It's grace. So the law is grace, but on top of that, on top of that, grace and truth came through Jesus. God hasn't just given us some diagnostic of that. He's he's also provided us with the cure. He's provided us with the help. So it's not just he tells you what's wrong with you and leaves you there. He, he tells you what's wrong with you and then provides you with the antidote. He provides you with the help. He provides you with the solution. He provides you with the hope that you need. He, grace and truth came through Jesus. He, Jesus, is the culmination of God's promises. He is the centerpiece of God's salvation plan. He is the crowning point of God's covenant faithfulness to people like you and people like me. Jesus is the making tangible of God's promises. He is the touch and see of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, his grace and truth. Jesus is God's eternal statement that he intends to keep every single one of his promises that we find in this book. Just consider, if you would, for a moment, all of the different words that are gathered up and unleashed into our lives through Jesus. We're already talk, we've already talked about adoption and, and touched on forgiveness. And we've already mentioned steadfast love and faithfulness. But on top of that, there is the peace that he brings and the redemption that he offers and the reconciliation with God, which he makes available to us. How he, he offers to make us right with God, how he frees us to be set apart for the purposes of God and allows us to be increasingly shaped into the character of God. And all of those things and so much more are contained in these pages to describe all the blessings of the grace of Jesus Christ, that he is grace and truth. Jesus is God's grace and truth gathered up and thrust into our lives as he is gathered up and thrust into this world. John tells us at the end here, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. So if you want to know what God is like, let me just say to finish this, if you want to know what God is like, his character and capacity, who he is and what he will do, take a look at Jesus. That's what this whole series is about. That's the invitation of this series that we are in. And this invitation of this live stream, you're going to be from the comfort of your own home. Every Sunday at 10.30, you're going to be able to come and spend for however long you're going to have the opportunity to come and spend some time considering who Jesus is and the change he might make to your life. So if you want to know what God is like, his character and his capacity, who he is and what he will do, take a look at Jesus. He makes your adoption by God into his family possible. He makes the glory of God visible. And he makes the life-changing, soul-helping promises of God tangible. 
He has made himself present in your world. And now he presents you with a choice. Will you reject him? Or will you receive him? Will you reject him? Or will you seek a relationship with him? He has three great offers for you. Three great things to bring into your life. He is the hope and the peace and the rest and the salvation that you need. My prayer for all of us is that we trust him a little bit more deeply in these days. And that, that, some of, and that, that trust would change each one, of our, each one of our eternities. Let me pray. Father, we're so thankful to you for how good and kind you are to us that you sent Jesus into the world in order to offer us adoption, to show us who you are, and to transform our lives. So Father, we pray you would help us to grasp these things. Help us not to allow these things to be lost from our hearts and our minds as we go about this week and some of the confusion and trying to figure things out. Father, we pray that these would be the things that would sustain us. That Jesus is the hope that would, would, that would hold us. And Father, we pray that even as we are given an opportunity in a period of enforced quiet and stillness and waiting, Father, we pray that we would look to Jesus and amongst all of that, that we would take time to consider him and to consider that choice that's before us, to reject him or receive him, to reject him or to pursue a relationship with him. Help us in all these things. Give us great wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.